everyone. This is your red-headed preacher sitting on the front steps of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, looking out on Oakton Street, where people on the other side of Oakton from us are at a farmer's market. And I'm seeing people cross Oakton Street to get to the market or to the library, which I don't know that it's open Sunday mornings, but it might be. And I'm thinking about the sermon title, Dealing with Difficult People, and I just thought, I wonder how many of these people who are going to the farmer's market could be difficult people. Or as I talk in the sermon briefly, persons with difficult behaviors. Because, you know, labeling people as difficult people can be not only judgmental, but can boomerang against you if word gets out. <laughs> you called me difficult. You know, no one wants to deal with that, and so I, I'm making that distinction, too, here and in the message. But uh, it just made me think about that, because we all deal with difficult people in, in one way or another, and it might be at work, it might be at school, uh, might be at home, might be at church or synagogue. Um, wherever people are, there will be some persons who have difficult behaviors. And in the message, I spend a lot of time on self-preparation for such communications, conversations, encounters. Um, my, my favorite piece of the message is, comes near the end where I bring up Nathan, the prophet Nathan, talking to King David, because I think what he did uh, was a fundamental approach to successfully, perhaps successfully, dealing with difficult people. So I, there's a lot in the message, um, so please hang in there. Hopefully you will find some things that are inspirational or helpful to you. I cannot cover the waterfront, as I've said before. And even the last thing that I say, um, I wish I could have spent some more time on. But it is something to close with uh, in the message, and uh, maybe it'll have more lasting impact. So... I hope the, uh, the wind at my back is not making it harder for you to hear me. I thank you for tuning in, and as I said a minute ago, I hope you find some good things to take out of this message, and I will see you on the other side after, uh, after the sermon. Church of Rome, those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. The word was always important to our people of the book, be they Jewish or disciples of Christ. We are expected to learn and in some cases teach God's word. This morning, of course, we are about to hear some of this word. Let us be grateful, hopeful, and ready to hear God talking to us through it. I ask you to join me in the spirit of prayer so we may all be well prepared to be grateful, hopeful, and ready to listen. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
Amen. Our first reading is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through the first part of verse 7. David has sinned against God by taking Bathsheba away from her husband for himself and then arranging for him to be killed on the battlefield in the way Israel was fighting. Nathan the prophet does not let this go in silence. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare, and drink from his cup, and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the witch man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. This ends the reading from the Hebrew Scriptures. We have a epistle reading this morning, which is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 21. Paul wrote, For that by the grace given to me I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what that for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For do, by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not become evil. Do, do not become by, over, overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This ends the reading from Romans. Now let's, let us enjoy a musical meditation from our music director, Ben Muskell. Will those who are able please rise for the reading of the gospel? The gospel reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 31 through 39, where Jesus is having trouble with the Jewish people he'd been debating. Jews took up stones again to stone Jesus. He replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, though only a human being, are making yourself God. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If those to whom the word of God came were called gods, and the scripture cannot be annulled, can you say that the one whom the Father has sanctified and sent into the world is blaspheming? because I said, I am God's son? If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the father is in me, and I am in the father. Then they tried to arrest him again, but he escaped from their hands. Here ends the reading of the gospel and the scriptures for today's service. May God give us a joyful and generous understanding of this God's holy word. It was December 8th, 1980. My friend Steve called me at home in the evening and told me that John Lennon had just been shot dead. I could not believe it. I thought he was pulling my leg, which Steve sometimes did. I turned on the radio, which was set to WCCO, the Twin Cities equivalent of WGN back in the day. The station was playing the Beatles song, We Can Work It Out. And that's when I knew what Steve told me was true. WCCO, back in those days, they didn't play music. They would never play a Beatles song. And I heard the song's refrain. Life is very short. And there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. I have always thought that it's a crime. So I will ask you once again. Would that everyone believe that there's no time in life for fussing and fighting and being difficult because life is very short. But there are difficult persons in this world. Sometimes they're in our lives. And just singing this song will not change a thing. We do try to work it out when we can, though, don't we? Now, I'm aware as I begin a message on this subject that I am blessed to be working in the Church of Jesus Christ and not in what might be a secular, profit-driven, competitive place or career. 
I rarely have to put up with profanity, bullies, antagonists who make it their job to cheese me off or who undercut me so they'll look better to the supervisor. I don't usually have to deal with difficult people. Not that I don't or haven't. Being a local church pastor means, at least being the pastor of this church, I hear horror stories about other churches. But being a pastor of St. Peter's means I am not swimming in the waters of those kinds of dynamics. And I'm not swimming in the waters of the legal system, coping with a difficult teacher or student, a difficult coach or teammate or school bully. My ethics are not tested as readily. I don't have troublemaking neighbors, coworkers, or volunteers. But these are some of the settings a lot of us, a lot of you, may find yourself in dealing with difficult people. How do you and I so deal, operating out of our faith and the scriptures? I suggest our first step is preparation, as in preparing ourselves for communicating, probably conversing, with said difficult person. And by the way, before I go any further, it's been pointed out that it can be helpful and faithful to separate the person from the behavior. In that case, we could alter the sermon title to be dealing with difficult behaviors, but it was too late for me to do that. Getting ourselves ready is huge, and it can take a while, if we even get the time. And sometimes we do not. Jesus was in the middle of a dispute with difficult people, the scribes and Pharisees, so he addressed them directly. He didn't have time to say, let me prepare for this. What is your problem with me? Is basically what he asked. Do my works indict me? Which, which I love, and I didn't strike until I heard Jody read it. Which of my works, you know, is, do you not find, you know, that you're condemning me for? Uh, the answer is blasphemy, man. You are making yourself to be the son of God, and you're just like us. Jesus argues scripture with them. They do not back off. They, do, they, they don't come back again with that. They, say, they kind of conceded that point. So he again points to all the good works he's doing. Which of them are not from God? Let them speak to you of who I am, Jesus pleads. Don't get, you know, focus on that. If you can't believe me, believe the works I'm doing that are works of God. And when they move, unpersuaded, when they move to arrest him, and John says, arrest him again, Jesus escapes. More on that later. Nathan the prophet most likely did have time to prepare, and what he did is an important answer to how you and I can, in practice, deal with dif people exhibiting difficult behaviors. Again, I'll come back to Nathan. Preparation is where I still am, and it's partly learning what we can about this person or persons. Might they have a personality disorder? When I thought of this topic, and I thought of someone working in the White House. At first I was stumped. And then I remembered that sometimes people working for the White House were dealing with someone who many experts and observers believed a few years ago has a personality disorder. 
that's good to know if we're dealing with someone with a personality disorder too. Also, try to learn what's going on in their lives. When I was part of a clergy group coaching some persons in small groups preparing for these, these were students preparing for ministry, preparing for ordination, and so we did some case studies with them. And one case study was of a, a parishioner who began a lie-based campaign, mostly through the inter- email, but also on the phone, a lie-based, lie-based campaign to undercut and get rid of this pastor. It was nasty and provocative, and this person was going to go to the church council, maybe that evening. And the students were asked, what should be done by this pastor, if anything? Some suggestive answers were listed, but they weren't limited to those. And it turned out that the most correct response offered turned out to be the pastor should call that person and kind of in a way that's not so obvious, find out how their life is. If they don't know, how has life been treating them? Is the family okay? Etc. Basically, try to learn if there is negativity or disappointment or anxiety in some other part of her or his life that is now being redirected at the minister or you. Is the person projecting maybe someone else's bad behavior and they're, they're seeing, but they're projecting it onto, onto the pastor. Or maybe the, per, the pastor who was there before, they don't know you very well maybe or knew this knew you like the student becoming this pastor. And so they think that all pastors are crooked or something like that. You know, they may be projecting previous experiences with clergy onto you. And so whatever you do, they're not going to be happy and, you know, release the hounds of war upon them, upon the pastor. We can you find this out? Is there some way of learning this? Is there triangulation going on? Triangulation, basically, is where there's a fight with someone or a stressful situation with someone just between two people that has become so overwhelmingly stressful that one person can't deal with this. They decide to share it with somebody else, triangling them in so they don't feel quite as much stress. Meanwhile, sometimes that the third person who gets some of the stress aimed at them is the pastor. Is that what's going on? Try to discern if that's a possibility. That you're really innocent, but you've somehow just gotten some, some of this internalized anger, maybe it's not even internalized, aimed at you because they, these A and B can't handle it, so A or B needs a C. Also, and this is, you know, where are they coming from? What's their perspective in the, whatever the issue is? I remember recently hearing a UAW striker talking about one of the CEOs of one of the auto firms and how their hands are probably smooth and they'd never be able to work this or that heavy piece of auto machinery. So why are, is he or she getting millions in the Actual workers are not getting anything approaching the value of what they do making the product that's making the millions. That's a point of view of a problem. Do we know where the difficult person is coming from? And maybe it's just because they're a concerned parent or unemployed or distrustful by nature or they're left-brained or right-brained. 
Shifting gears a little, pray for them if you can before any conversation or communication. I remember praying before, a lot of times before I picked up that phone. Um, before you write or send an email. Is it an email you can wait a day and sleep on it? Maybe that's a good idea. And pray before these things. This is serious preparation. Part of this can be working on our deep breathing to get us ready to call on it, to calm ourselves if things get anxious. And maybe you remember as things get anxious and our adrenaline starts flowing and our hearts start pumping, we remember earlier the calm that was brought by our breathing in, holding it, and slowly exhaling it several times. Also in preparation, remembering previous conversations or situations with these individuals, see what they are correct about. Affirm them when and where you can. Show respect. Recognize them without patronizing them, of course. One resource I consulted was written by a minister, Arthur Paul Bowers, and he said, quote, his greatest learning on dealing with difficult behavior in church was pay attention to yourself first. If you perceive and treat others as enemies, they will look more and more like enemies, end quote. Paying attention to ourselves first can go a lot deeper, though. For instance, knowing that conversations with difficult people or those with difficult behaviors or just a difficult issue can rile you up with that anxiety and emotions that will threaten to break your cool. Something Jen Schneider gave me from her P-Link leadership, uh, where she works, said this about this stage of preparation. Notice and name your emotions so that you can articulate how the issue has affected or is affecting you. So let's name your emotions that you can articulate. This is how it's affecting you. Rather than blaming others for your emotional state, take ownership. This fosters an open and psychologically safe environment for others to hear you without defensiveness. Express your emotion productively. That sounds like pre-work for conversations for us to be aware of our own emotions, our emotional stake in the issue, but it also sounds like something we might be able to share to a point where it becomes a psychologically safe environment for a conversation. It's a, it's a bit like giving some vulnerability which you hope will be respected in return. And again doing this, uh, pay attention to yourself first. Ask ourselves also if you or I, in my cases, have done something or not done something we were expected to do, which, is, which caused the issue. In other words, do you or I have some responsibility for this person taking on difficult behavior towards us? Were there unmet expectations on our part, for example? We were expected to do something. We didn't even know it that was expected of us, and now we're kind of paying the price. We didn't know that was expected of us. Maybe it would have been different if we had. Or does it seem, or 
instead, maybe it seems to be part of just a larger issue, like triangulation, uh, part of a larger system. Sometimes difficult behavior, if known about in small groups, like those who gather around the water cooler, can help head off anxious communications. Can head, it can be preemptive. Beth told me, when she was working, if her team heard that it was getting a new supervisor or a lead who had a reputation as a pretty tough boss, she made it a point to approach this new person cheerfully. And she thinks this helped her relationship with the incoming boss. Mike Ryan shared with me the importance of showing respect to your highly stressed out supervisors or VPs at work, which they'd appreciate, and perhaps lower any anxiety when issues arise involving them and you. Answer their emails promptly is a way that you show respect. Then they'll say, hey, you're getting right back to me. Even if you're going to get back to me later with a little bit more, you responded to me quickly. I need that. I appreciate that. This person gets me. And that person who gets them is you. And this comes also under the banner of the big banner of preparation. In going from preparation to the conversation or communication, I already mentioned Jesus had a confrontational style in John 10. He called BS on the Jewish religious leaders who feared him, and he backed it up. If someone is spreading gossipy emails discrediting you or another person, that behavior has to be confronted, nipped in the bud. It can't simmer. It will only grow. You do not forget that the preparation can help, but you can't let that situation go on for, a long, for any length of time. And so preparation is helpful if you were able to have some, but there are some situations like gossip spreading around or whatever was happening in that uh, case study I shared earlier that you can't wait too long on, about dealing with that. In dealing with difficult people or persons with difficult behaviors, there are many great suggestions for Christians to absorb into our souls so Perhaps accumulatively, they will come out from us when we're pressured. Romans 12 says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Deal with genuine humility. Outdo one another in showing honor. Show respect when it's earned. Surprise them with a deserved compliment. Serve the Lord be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Do not be haughty. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Serve the Lord, he said. Let us honor Jesus with how we act and react in response to difficult behaviors. It's a reflection on our God if they know we're Christians. Serve our God. Be patient in suffering and keep on praying. These will help you and me endure. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 will help. It's full of verses that tell the righteous who are being harassed, who are constantly attacked, that these verses tell the righteous to remember the troublers shall not last. Verse 13 says, The Lord sees 
that their day is coming. To bless those, to bless those who persecute you, is to be in the company of Jesus, as is being patient and suffering, as Jesus also was. It is a way to pray for them. You can pray for them to change their minds, their behaviors, for God to change them. And we, God might do that by our own steadfastness and a lack of fear. I don't think this is really human nature, though. It calls for divine nature, the birth of the Spirit, or from above that Jesus talked about in John 3. It calls for us to set our ego aside and let God within us take over. We can prepare to do that, too. After all, it's essential for spiritual growth to let the Spirit in so that, as John the Baptist said, we must decrease and he must increase. Take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. That's a great verse and a prayer your antagonist, you, the prayer is that your antagonist does this also, that he or she or they will take sight for what is noble in the sight of everyone. Now, going to some actual practices beyond these spiritual ones, one of, and I've saved this for near the last because I'm nearing an end and I just really think this is great. I'm glad I thought of this passage. One approach beyond these spiritual traits is that of Nathan. He confronted the king at some point after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and then he set up Uriah to be killed in battle. What Nathan did was tell a parable that highlighted the story from a completely different point of view. What he did is called reframing. Some of you are familiar with that term. He took what happened to Bathsheba and Uriah as this crime of cruel greed, taking her and his life as the comforting lamb from the loving farmer who raised her, only the one. Even though this rich man who was entertaining this guest had flocks and flocks, no, let's take this guy's. He retold the tale from the perspective of the victims, and David did not recognize himself until Nathan told him, you are the man. We are not Nathan. But we can learn to reframe issues between you or me and a difficult person or group. It takes creativity, and it takes some time. The hope is that this approach is not too transparent and ends up being mocked along with you, I recommend trying to reframe the issues for conversation, but not in a way so that they see it coming. Notice Nathan didn't say anything about a king or a wife or a guy getting killed in battle. He told a different story so David wouldn't say, oh, I wonder you got an issue with me and Bathsheba. No, no, no. David didn't see it coming, and that's probably the power of it working. Oh, my gosh, I had no idea. That's how it could be perceived, what I did. If we can use that. Lastly, difficult people for us may be toxic. Toxic means poisonous. Poison kills if enough of it is taken. Dealing with toxic people or people with toxic behaviors causes stress for us, not them. 
It's our health at risk. As a TED Talk led by Jay Johnson said about dealing with difficult people, it's our heart attack we must avoid. The prayer for serenity asks God to grant us serenity to accept the things we cannot change. Toxic personalities or people who have toxic personality disorder, whatever might be going on, we probably can't change that. So we have to accept it, but it doesn't mean that we're just stuck with that. The courage to change the things I can. I dealt with the toxic personality that I could not change, and I removed myself from that circle as permanently as I could. Jesus, too, removed himself from his Jewish antagonists. They tried to arrest him again, and Scripture says he escaped from their hands. He got out from, he got away from them. Sometimes, how you deal with difficult people, you avoid them if you can. And here's Jesus doing that. It may rarely be the way to deal with difficult persons or behaviors. It's not something we do all, you know, all the time, or that Jesus did all the time. But there are situations when our health is at risk and God has other purposes for us to fulfill. In closing, let us return to that inner looking. Let's look at ourselves first kind of thing from that minister I quoted. Let's return to some brutally rigorous, honest self-evaluation and be open to asking if we are the difficult person or if we are exhibiting difficult behaviors. If we have difficult people Is it possible that you or I are the difficult person for others? That's hard to see that it comes back to us. But when it is what we see, if it is what we see, it's time for us to seek healing. Healing within and healing without. And that's a whole other sermon or more than one. But God will help us. And that is good news. Amen. Well, that was a long sermon, wasn't it? One of the longest I've preached, I think why it became as long as it did, and I hope you didn't mind it, I try to keep it to under 20 minutes, especially if there's a sacrament, like next Sunday, when I go from what I call a sermon, which could be up to 20 minutes, to a homily which to me is like 15 minutes or less. Anyway, a few times during the sermon, I departed from my manuscript to embellish or not embellish. That's a bad word. It makes me sound like, you know, making up stuff that's on the edge of truth to amplify or to further explain or further describe a part of the message, a part of what I'm saying. And that's what I think what made it longer is that I more fully illustrated uh, or amplified what I wanted to, the stories I wanted to tell. So I was a little surprised when I hit the stop button and it was said 24 minutes and something. And I thought, well, that's a bit long. No, no wonder there was kind of a, a sense in the sanctuary of, well, this has been long. But no regrets. I, uh, I feel good about the message as much as you can feel good about something that's about how to deal with people who have difficult behaviors. 
and there's so much more that could be said. We understand that um, a lot of this could have been a, could be addressed by counselors and therapists, by parents, and so on. But I, as I said at the beginning, I hope that you found something valuable in it, something maybe to discuss with somebody else and get their their take on it, because there are many takes on how to deal with difficult people. Today you have heard one take with many, many facets. I hope you'll be able to tune in next week. The, the Sunday is World Communion Sunday. That's an important Sunday to me personally. But the subject of the homily is fear. So I hope you won't be afraid to tune in at your whenever you can to the podcast for October 1st to face fear. Until then, let me offer a brief closing prayer. Lord, you have held us up and sustained us and blessed us to this very moment. We pray that you continue to do so, that you who have taken care of us today will take care of us tomorrow, so we need not overly worry about tomorrow. For you are not going anywhere, and neither does your love for us. With gratitude for knowing this, in Jesus' name we pray. With gratitude, amen. And may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much 